morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Morning. And as a greeting to those who are joining us online right now, you know, we are almost coming to the end of our First Corinthians sermon series. As today we'll come to chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul was arguing on the essential importance of Christ's resurrection for our Christian faith. As it's a long passage, I have selected selected portion of scripture just to give us the context of today's sermon. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are safe if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. In verse 12, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. We jump to verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we listen to your word for us today, may you open up our hearts to you and allow your living word to come alive in our hearts as we embrace your gospel truth. Will you hide me behind your cross as I share your word? And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the context of the passage we just read, as Corinth was a Greek city, the Greeks did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So when Paul was also preaching at Athens and declared the facts of Christ's resurrection, you know, some of the listeners actually sneered at him if you read Acts chapter 17. So Paul responded to this view by arguing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved the resurrection of the human body where our earthly bodies will be transformed into imperishable ones. His argument can be outlined in three parts here. Firstly, he described the importance of Christ's resurrection. Second, he described the implications for Christ's resurrection. And thirdly, he described the transformation of the resurrected body. And from this outline, I'll share three discipleship lessons here. First, we embrace the gospel truth. Second, we embrace the hope of eternity. 
And thirdly, we embrace the hope of Christian perfection. Let's begin with the first part here. From verses 1 to 11, Paul argued on the importance of Christ's resurrection. And this is the foundation of our Christian faith and the gospel message that we need to embrace. He started with establishing the facts from verses 1 to 2 that he had preached the message of the gospel and the faith of the Corinthians' lives were transformed. So the fact that they were standing firm was proof that their faith was genuine and not empty. With that, he continued to support his argument by establishing five facts of the gospel truth. If you read in verse 3 onwards, in fact number 1, he talked about how Christ died for us, for our sins, according to the scriptures. We need to know that Jesus Christ was fully God, also fully man. He came to live among us. And he became that Passover lamb. as He sacrificed his life for the sins of the world on the cross more than 2,000 years ago. The next fact, Christ was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You know, the burial of Jesus Christ is important as it proved two significant things. Firstly, it proved that Jesus Christ died as no one is buried unless he is dead. Secondly, it proved the resurrection of Christ and the empty tomb is evidence that Christ arose from the dead. And this resurrection of Christ proved that Jesus Christ is he who claimed to be, who he claimed to be, the Son of God himself. Only an eternal and powerful God can do that. Just as Paul described in Ephesians chapter 1, let me read verse 19 to 20 here. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he asserted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And what made the evidence of this resurrection more certain was actually fact number three. There were more than 500 eyewitnesses. Here we can see our faith is built on this historical event. It, be, it should be central to our life as disciples. You know, Peter, also known as Cephas, saw him. The twelve saw him. But one of the key facts of this gospel was there were more than 500 eyewitnesses to this resurrected Christ. And this confirms the resurrection. Let me try to illustrate this. Now, all of us here, I believe, were witness to the events of the recent COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we've gone through this unprecedented circuit breaker where the entire nation went to lockdown in our homes for a period of time. There was this season where we could not even come physically to church. And our only means to worship God together was through an online service. You know, before this era of our life, I don't think any of us here could imagine such an historic event happening in our world, especially right here in Singapore. But because we were part of it, we witnessed, witnessed it for ourselves, all of us can testify of this historical event taking place. Likewise, if we bring ourselves back more than 2,000 years ago, if all of us were present there like the 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ, you know, that's a very strong account of such an event taking place. The fourth fact was Paul witnessed this himself. Out of all the people, Paul emphasizes the credibility of the resurrection as he himself could attest to this. He argued that he was the least of the apostles, especially he was one who used to persecute the church of God. But his life was transformed after seeing the resurrected Christ himself. And this is described in Acts chapter 19, in Acts chapter 9. Lastly, 
In fact, number five, this is the one true gospel that is preached. Today, we can trust in the resurrection because it's attested by the reliability of sources out there. This historical evidence is supported by eyewitnesses' accounts and it makes the gospel truth a solid foundation for our Christian faith. And a discipleship lesson that I would like to share with us here from Paul's argument is that we need to embrace this gospel truth. As disciples of Christ, we must never forget the core message of the gospel. Our faith is built on the historical reality of Christ's resurrection. In fact, we cannot share this faith with others if we ourselves cannot articulate this gospel message. Let's think about this question. Let's say someone asks you, maybe a family member uh, who's not a Christian, what is this gospel message? Would you be able to articulate this gospel message to them if someone asks you? You know, for me, I grew up here in church. I heard about Christ, I heard about the story of God. I grew up in the Sunday school system, I went through youth ministry. But as I reflected back, what led me to fully embrace the gospel truth only took place a lot later in my late teenage years. At that point, I was involved in a parachurch group that exposed me to actually do street evangelism. And I realized that I needed to know the gospel message before I could actually share it with others. It was in that season of my life that I started to internalize how powerful the facts of this gospel truth were and how this gospel had in fact changed and transformed my own life. You know, likewise, as Christians, as fellow witnesses of this gospel truth, we too should be diligent in preserving and sharing this message with others as well. Secondly, Paul continues his arguments on the implications of Christ's resurrection. In the next set of arguments, Paul addresses those who doubt the resurrection of the dead. He argues the huge implications of it if we deny the resurrection of Christ. If we read in verse 14, Paul argues if we deny the resurrection, our preaching is useless. And not only that, we bear false witness against God, which means the apostles are deliberately lying that Christ has risen. And that means in our context, if there is no resurrection, it means the pastors are preaching a false gospel and we are leading all of you astray. Thirdly, if we deny the resurrection of Christ, it is then that the dead believers have perished. They are nothing more than decayed flesh and bones lying in a cemetery or in the urns today. At the end of the day, our faith is futile and in vain, groundless and meaningless, and we will still be in our sins. And Paul went on to further his argument, if you read on in verses 29 to 32, that if we deny the resurrection of Christ, he said, why do we continue religious observance like you baptize the dead? Why do we endanger ourselves and go through sufferings for Christ? Not like how Andrew Wilson in the commentary in 1 Corinthians for you, sums up the implications here. Let me quote from him. If the corpse of Jesus has been found somewhere in the Middle East, it will not just mean that the walls of Christianity needed repointing. It will mean the entire house had come crashing down. If Jesus is still dead, then our sins have not been forgiven. If Jesus is still dead, then we are all lost, hopeless liars. If Jesus is still dead, then our lives are not just mistaken, but we are, are of all people most to be pitied. The gospel cannot survive a dead saviour. All of us will not be here today because it means our faith is baseless if the resurrection did not happen. 
You know, picture this with me. If your faith is like a building, the facts of the resurrected of Christ is the strong, unshakable foundation upon which the entire structure of our faith rests on. Without that foundation, the building will collapse. So we need to embrace the resurrection of Christ as the foundation of our faith. And that is why Paul clearly asserted in verse 20 that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The implications of Christ's resurrection is a glorious phenomenon because he arose and we too shall arise and we know that God has the power to raise the dead. His resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. And that's the greater hope and the promise of Christ where Christ's resurrection assures life and we are all guaranteed this future resurrection. You know, Paul explains here that the first Adam as one who made, was made from earth. But the last Adam, who is like Christ, came from heaven. The first Adam disobeyed God and brought sin and death into the world. But the last Adam obeyed the Father and brought righteousness and life. And not only that, Christ's resurrection assures us the coming reign of God's kingdom and the end of all evil. When Christ returns in glory to rule and reign in majesty, he will subdue all the enemies of God and present the kingdom of God. And this is the second discipleship lesson for us. Let's embrace this hope of eternity. You know, believing the resurrection of Christ means living with hope, living with purpose as we anticipate this eternity to come. It changes the way how we respond to trials and sufferings of this world. You know, just the chorus of the beautiful hymn we usually sing on Easter Sunday, you know, Because He Lives. Let me read the lyrics of this song. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. And indeed, because He lives, our actions and choices can reflect the confidence in this future resurrection. I know some of us, we are struggling. Some of us are facing issues. Perhaps some of us are experiencing a crisis right now at home. Some of us here may have loved ones who are going through sickness, cancer, terminal illness. Perhaps you may be going through it right now. Some of you are just very tired, you are emotionally drained and burnt out. But whatever you are going through today, because Jesus has resurrected and conquered death, we know we can face tomorrow. We know there's this eternal hope in the future where all suffering and evil will end one day. You know, the kingdom of God is here, but not yet as well. But this is the living hope that we can cling on in our whole discipleship journey. In fact, the Christian journey is like the in-between days between Jesus' death on good, that Good Friday and Christ's resurrection on that third day. And in the in-between days, you know, on that Holy Saturday, you know, we are that wrestling in-between with what we are going through. But we know Resurrection Sunday is coming. We know Christ has risen. Let me encourage you to embrace. Let us cling on to that hope of eternity. Because that hope will keep us going on in this whole faith journey. I like how Warren Risby explains this. 
the resurrection of the human body is a future event that has compelling implications for our personal lives. If the resurrection is not true, then we can forget about the future and live as we please. But the resurrection is true. Jesus is coming again. Even if we die before he comes, we shall be raised at his coming and stand before him in a glorified body. You know, friends, this is the hope of eternity that we can all embrace as Christians today. No matter where you are at, whatever sickness, whatever trials, whatever suffering or discouragement, Jesus is coming again and we shall be raised with him one day in this glorified body. Lastly, we come to the transformation of the resurrected body. Paul concludes with the nature of the resurrected body and the transformation that takes place. In verse 35, he said, But someone will ask, How the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now, have you ever wondered what our bodies will look like when we get to heaven? I don't know how many of us ever thought of that question. I remember when I was studying in Trinity Theological College, we were posed this question by our lecturer and we had a very interesting conversation what our heavenly bodies might look like. We hear from verses 35 to 49, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of a seed to explain this transformation of our earthly bodies into spiritual bodies. You know, anybody here ever grew plants from a seed before? You ever tried growing plants? See some hands? You know, a few years ago during the circuit breaker, I don't know whether any of you tried this, you know, and parts was actually giving out seeds to, to household you know, to actually try to grow veggies at home. So at that point, I think because we were stuck at home most of the time and you know, I wanted to try something new, I decided to give it a try on how to grow a plant from a seed. So I used those egg trays, plant it to the soil, I watered it daily, just waiting you know, for the seedlings to grow. When it was taller, I transplanted it to a bigger planter. You know, here Paul is explaining that the seed represents our physical bodies. You know, just as a seed is planted in the ground and appears lifeless, our earthly bodies will die and decay. And Paul is emphasizing the mortality and how our bodies on earth are perishable. But our resurrected bodies will grow like a new plant. And this is the hope that Paul is explaining to us. Where our dead bodies is like a seed, they will be transformed into something imperishable. Our resurrected bodies will become eternal, glorious, powerful, spirit-filled, and lastly, perfectly Christ-like. And this transformation from a lowly mortal state to a glorious immortal state is made possible only through the resurrection power of Christ. And that's the hope of our Christian faith. And we can achieve this as we reach glorification in heaven one day where our resurrected bodies will be glorified like Christ. You know, just as a caterpillar that undergoes a metamorphosis into a beautiful butterfly, our transformation in the resurrection will be even more magnificent. Even though the butterfly bears no resemblance to the caterpillar, our resurrected bodies will far exceed our earthly bodies in glory and beauty. As we look to the hope of the future, even on this side of heaven, you no, know, we are in this process of sanctification to grow more like, to be more like Christ. As we die to the old, as we conform to the image of Christ each day, as we embrace the hope of Christian perfection, you know, that really is the goal of our discipleship journey. Even if we have not yet fully reached Christian perfection today, this is the hope for us. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 
You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, Christian perfection is a distinctive of our Methodist doctrine. In fact, if we understand the doctrine of Christian perfection, it should motivate us with a hope in this Christian life. But first, let me try to explain Christian perfection to us. You know, Wesleyan scholars explain that John Wesley's understanding of Christian perfection is a state where one can willfully choose not to sin. And this does not include the unknown sins that creep into our lives. For example, I do not know how many of you ever felt so close to God. Perhaps maybe in the time of worship, maybe it could be at a church camp, maybe when you respond to God in an altar call, or maybe in time of prayer, you felt so close to God at that moment, you know, you know what sin is, and you do not, want, do not want to sin at all. You choose not to sin. You know, likewise, we too can have such an experience of Christ's love today when we are so sanctified in Christ that we do not want to sin anymore. In fact, Wesleyan scholars suggest to us the extent of entire sanctification can happen on earth. You know, sometimes it takes place you know, just before death. And only when Christ comes again, when the believer is fully perfected, even the unknown sins as well, when we are fully glorified in heaven one day. And I would always remember this pastoral visit I once did. When I visited this senior, he was 95 years old at that point of time. You know, despite his age, he was still very alert and healthy for a 95-year-old man. He always had such a joy in his persona. He displayed such a strong faith in God. I remember one particular visit, he shared with me this story of a divine encounter of a dream he had with Jesus. He described how the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him one day, and he felt that the presence of God was there with him, right in the room where he was sleeping. He, he was describing this indescribable feeling of God's love within him that he said, after he had this divine encounter in his dream, he felt he was ready to go anytime the Lord take him back. You know, perhaps he had experienced what John Wesley has described of experiencing that Christian perfection on this side of heaven. So friends, it is my prayer and hope that we too can experience such a holy, perfect love within us. We don't have to wait until we are 95 years old. Even right now, we can experience His perfect love within us. Even if we do not reach that state of Christian perfection on this side of heaven, we know that at the end of the day, when we return to Christ one day, He has promised us that our resurrected bodies will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, and most of all, perfect like Christ. So as I close, as we learn about the importance and implications of Christ's resurrection and the transformation that takes place, let's embrace this gospel truth. Let's embrace the hope of eternity. And finally, let us embrace the hope of Christian perfection as we eagerly await the day when we will be raised in glory to be with our resurrected Lord for eternity. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks for what you did for us more than 2,000 years ago, where you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, on this earth to die on the cross for the sins of the entire world. But we know the story did not end there. As today we have experienced your resurrected power, today I pray for everyone here that even as we continue on in our journey of faith, 
may we embrace your gospel truth to be that foundation of our Christian faith. So that even when trials and challenges come, even when we are down and discouraged, may you help us look to you as our eternal hope. Will you empower all of us here with your Holy Spirit once again? Fill us with your perfect love as we grow in Christian perfection and eagerly await the day when our resurrected bodies will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, spirit-filled, and most of all, perfect like Christ. So we pray all this in your Son's precious name, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen and Amen.